number 11 is where we're going to start out at this morning, Hebrews chapter number 11. And if you're able to, uh, as you find your place, to stand for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter number 11. And then while you're finding that, we're going to we'll read there first, but then we're going to transition to Joshua chapter number 6, the book of Joshua chapter number 6. <clears throat> Good, Brother Joe? Okay. We're going to start off, like I said, in Hebrews chapter number 11, and then we'll transition into Joshua chapter number 6 this morning. Visitors, thank you for being with us here today, and we appreciate you have, being, having you in our service. Be sure to stop by the Information Center before you leave today and uh, drop off your visitor card, pick up a gift, just as our way of saying thank you for being with us. All right, let's look at the Word of God this morning, Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're going to look down all the way down at verse number 30. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with your Bible, you know this, that the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, is often referred to as the faith chapter in the Word of God. And so we're going to look at verse number 30 and verse number 31. The Bible says in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. Now transition back to the book of Joshua, chapter number 6, and we'll primarily be here in the book of Joshua this morning, but kind of wanted to read those two verses in Hebrews to give us some context and give us a look, if you would, at what's taken place. But in Joshua chapter number 6, we're going to read the first five verses of this chapter. Joshua chapter number 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go around about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Lord willing this morning to preach on this thought, the obstacle of Jericho. The obstacle of Jericho. Father, we thank you again for the privilege it is to be back in your house and Lord, thank you for the great singing, for the great congregationals, Lord, the special, the ladies, um, Lord, the special ladies just sang how true it is that you take what is broken, what is dirty, what is unclean, and you make it beautiful. Lord, you're the only one that can do that, so we pray this morning you'd speak to our heart. Lord, help us as we look at this text and we open up scripture and make application that you'd encourage us, Lord, you'd encourage us when we face the obstacles of life and the things that look like Jericho's, the things that look like there's no possible way that we can have victory, or there's some principles in this text that I believe we can learn from Joshua and the nation of Israel as we face things, even now, in the year 2022, things in life, whether we're an adult, whether we're a teenager, whether a grandparent, whatever the case might be, where there's things in our life that we will face, and you desire for us as we face those things to have victory, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our heart as only you can, in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> I 
The, uh, the story of Joshua and really the nation of Israel's defeat of Jericho still stands as one of the most amazing victories ever recorded in the Word of God, and really, honestly, one of the most incredible victories in all of mankind, all of history. And I know we're in a very familiar text this morning, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but we begin the book of Joshua in Joshua chapter number one with Moses' death, and Moses, we know this, has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and has led the nation of Israel across the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and he's led the nation of Israel up to basically Canaan land, and, and while they're in Canaan land, we know this, that he sent the 12 spies in, and 10 came back with a bad report, 2 came back with a good report, and because the people chose to side with the, 12 ba- or sorry, the 10 bad spies, the nation of Israel has just spent the last 40 years wandering the wilderness, and kind of going in circle after circle after circle after circle, and being fed a manna from heaven and having water come from a rock and, and, and watching God provide, but watching God judge as well in the wilderness. And so in Joshua chapter number one, we begin the book with Moses passing away from the scene and the, the leadership, if you would, of the nation of Israel being passed from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua becomes the next leader of God's people, the Jewish nation. And God's plan for Joshua and the nation of Israel in Joshua chapter number one is still the exact same plan that God gave Moses even before the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. And that plan was that the nation of Israel would cross the Jordan River and they would uh, basically battle or have victory within Canaan land and get the promised land. That was still God's plan, God's desire, even now 40 plus years later. So Joshua gets to this point in his life, in his ministry, if you would, where he is, he's being guided and directed by God. And for 40 years, the nation of Israel, having turned their back on God, God still, for 40 years, uh, still led them through the wilderness and still provided and still did things for the nation of Israel that only God can do. And I'm thankful this morning that even when I make bonehead decisions and when I make mistakes and when I fail God and when I don't, when I don't represent Christ like I ought to, that God is still there. It's not that God just leaves me and forsakes me, that even when I fall flat on my face and there's things that, 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 that happen in my life that I bring shame and reproach, if you would, I'm thankful there's still a God that gives me second chances and a God that gives me third chances, and a God that gives me fourth chances. Listen, and I'll be honest with you this morning, I don't deserve them, no different, you don't deserve them. We don't deserve all those chances that God gives us, but I'm thankful this morning that I serve in God in heaven who loves me enough that in spite of my wickedness, that in spite of the ugliness, that in spite of the dirtiness and the the filthiness and the sinfulness, that God is still there for me. Even Listen, even when I forsake him, he's still there. And the nation of Israel is reminded of this as they get ready to cross over the Jordan River here and the beginning parts of the book of Joshua. Listen, I'm thankful for God's faithfulness, thankful that God is always there regardless, regardless of my stubbornness, regardless of my arrogance, regardless of my prideness, that God is still there and God is still convicting, God is still working, God is still trying to mold me and make me. And can I say this, the 40 years in the wilderness were not in vain. No, no, the 40 years in the wilderness that the nation of Israel wandered to and fro were not in vain. God was molding and God was making and God was working in their lives. And there was some refining, if you would, that God had to do for the people of Israel. There was some refining. Can we say it like this? There was even some refining in the heart of Joshua that had to take place in order for them to go forward and to conquer Canaan land. You say, well, Brother Andrew, uh, God, made a, God made a covenant and those of a certain age were not going to step in, in the promised land. I understand that, but there were still some, some young men and some young ladies that God had to work in and God had to show himself strong in. And so we get into Joshua chapter number one, and we're going to kind of just do a a brief survey, if you would, leading up to Joshua chapter six. But in Joshua chapter number one, Moses passes on from the scene, and Joshua becomes responsible 
for not only the nation of Israel and the leadership and, and handling the million, two million plus people, but then he becomes the supreme leader, if you would, of, of the expedition into the Canaan land. He becomes responsible for the combat that's going to take place. He becomes responsible for the lives of the men that are going to go to combat, that are going to go into the promised land, go into Canaan land and fight the battles that God says, hey, it's there. And so if you go back over to Joshua chapter number one, notice what God says from the very beginning that gives Joshua the confidence that he needs. It says in Joshua chapter number one, verse number one, the Bible says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Here's God, here's the Lord's response to Joshua. He's, he, he's, he's, he's in a sense, he's done with Moses and he's transitioned over now to Joshua. And he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place, notice verse three, he says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. Watch, watch, here's what God says. As I said unto Moses, Listen, God's desire and God's design for the nation of Israel has not changed. It was still the same thing all these years later. After all the wandering, after, after Korah, after all the mistakes and the serpents in the wilderness, after all the bickering and the complaining and the provision and the water from a rock and all the turmoil that was going on, God's plan was still the same for the nation of Israel. The only difference was now Joshua was in charge. And so Moses, we know this according to chapter number one, Moses is off the scene. But then we get into chapter number two and here's what takes place. In the beginning part of chapter number two, Joshua picks out two men. And he picks out two men and he sends these men to Jericho. Jericho, uh, just to kind of draw us a map, if you would, we think of the nation of Israel. And, and they're on the easternmost side, if you would, of the Canaan land. And Jericho is the very first city that they will have to encounter as they cross the Jordan River. Uh, Jericho is the, the pinnacle, if you would, uh, of the cities of Canaan land. And so Joshua says, hey, before we cross the Jordan, before we uh, go out and we battle and we have this war, we have this conflict, well, I'm going to send two spies. And we know this in chapter number two, we read the story of these two spies that go into Jericho. And their responsibilities obviously was to spy out the defenses, to spy out kind of the, the layout, if you would, of Jericho, to spy out maybe, maybe tactically what would be a good place to, to, to fight at, what would be a good place to, uh, to, to position their army and they run into a, a lady by the name of Rahab. And Rahab's a very unique character because Rahab, the Bible describes her as a harlot. Rahab is described as a harlot. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but we know this. It's not good. It's not pretty. It's not, listen, it's, it's not somebody that we would want to associate ourselves with. But yet God saw something that was wicked and dirty and eventually is going to make it beautiful. And we'll get to that toward the end. But God uses Rahab to basically shield and hide these two spies. And we read this account in chapter number two and, and how in chapter number two, the, the, the Rahab stands up for these two individuals, these two spies, and they're able to take the message back to Joshua and the nation of Israel. Then we get into chapter number three. Man, chapter number three is very interesting. In chapter number three, we read the story of the nation of Israel where they crossed the Jordan River. No, no, they're, they're at the banks in chapter one and chapter two, and they're looking at the Jordan River and and on the other side, they know there's Jericho. They, knows there's, they, they know there's the conflict. They know there's the, bat, the battle's coming. And Brother John, they're looking at, at, at the Jordan River. And, and, and historians tell us this, that normally uh, uh, the Jordan River is about 100 feet wide. 100 feet wide. And we think about 100 feet, Brother Skyler, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, just 100 feet, 100 feet, it's not, not that big. 
Well, at this time, the Bible tells us during the harvest season, the Bible specifically says this, that the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. So what normally is 100 feet wide now has swelled because of the melting snow at Mount Lebanon, and the river swells to one mile wide. So you can only imagine that Joshua is standing before the Jordan River, and, and he's looking out across the river, and what he thinks would only be 100 feet, now it's a mile wide. Listen, be even before he gets to the obstacle that is Jericho, Joshua is having to face, the nation of Israel is having to face the crossing of the Jordan River. And not just the fact that it's just the Jordan River, but it's the fact that it's the Jordan River on steroids, amen? It's massive, it's a mile wide, it's humongous. And here again, I, I, as I was studying this yesterday afternoon and read through, I'm, in my mind I'm picturing Joshua. You gotta follow me at this, kind of use your imagination a little bit, kind of, it's not quite in the text, but it's there. Joshua's standing at the river looking out, and I'm picturing Caleb walking up next to him kind of elbowing Joshua. No, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that came back and gave a good report 40 plus years ago. And I'm sure they were probably like best friends. They were like this. And I'm picturing Caleb walking up to Joshua and kind of elbowing Joshua saying, here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go again. Hey, they, they don't remember the Red Sea, but I remember it, Joshua. No, no, you got to find the humor in this. You got to find the humor in this because Caleb's the one who uh, chapters later is going to say, I want that mountain at 80 plus years old. I mean, Caleb's a, a spitball. I mean, he, he is ready to go. And I'm picturing, Brother John, that Joshua's standing there looking out going, okay, Lord, that's where you want us to go. We got to cross this Jordan River. And Caleb just walking up like, oh yeah, let's do this, dude. Let's go. You know, all the young guys, the, the young muscular warriors, the guys that have been training, that have been diligent with their swords or whatever the case is, I can almost imagine them going, seriously, how are we going to do this? But yet there's Joshua and Caleb that are like, man, this ain't nothing. I mean, I remember crossing the Red Sea and watching the Egyptian army come. And, get in, and in my mind and in my heart thinking, man, we're going we're gonna to die here beside this Red Sea. And watching God part the Red Sea and the nation of Israel walking across the Red Sea on dry ground. And not just the fact that they walked across the, the Red Sea on dry ground, but the fact that they took the spoils of the Egyptians as they went across that Red Sea. And Caleb and Joshua have seen the blessings of God and they've seen the works of God. They've seen the hand of God. And here in Joshua chapter number three, they're standing back and they're looking at what seems impossible. And here's their mindset. Oh, it's definitely possible. God can do it. Guess what? God does. God makes the water stop. We know this, that they, they cross over on dry land again. Man, what an, ama what an amazing God. What an amazing God. In chapter number four, we read the story of Joshua and the nation of Israel turning around after they crossed the, Red, or sorry, crossed the Jordan River. And they set up a memorial. They set up memorial stones. And the stones were a representation, not of necessarily where they crossed, marked where they crossed, but more importantly, to mark what God had done for them. You see, there was a nation that had grown up in the wilderness that had been born, that had been, that had been maturing in the wilderness, that did not understand the Red Sea. They don't remember the Red Sea. Well, there were some that probably vaguely remembered it. They were young, they were little as they crossed. But now there's a whole, listen, there's a whole generation of Israelites that stood on one side of the Jordan River and watched God do something that only God can do. That's significant, because we'll see it here in a second how it plays out. So in chapter four, they leave the stones. In chapter number five, Joshua has an interaction with the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the captain of the Lord's host. And he's not there to uh, not there for Joshua to claim, if you would, God's allegiance for Joshua's cause. No, no. He's there for God to claim Joshua and his cause. So we get into chapter number six, and really where our text is this morning, where we're going to primarily focus. And the Bible tells us this 
In chapter 6, verse number 1, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. and None went out and none came in. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe, maybe there were some, some guards from Jericho that had been just a few yards on the other side of the Jordan River and looked out and spied out and some scouts that maybe had seen the nation of Israel gathered together and maybe they had seen the priests uh, gather together and carry the ark and as they stepped on into the Jordan River, the waters just stopped and parted and dry ground and next thing you know, these guys are watching what's taking place and, and, and the nation of Israel is just cruising right across the Jordan River. The water's standing up. And I don't know, maybe, I can only imagine that as they go back and give the report and as the guards, maybe the sentry towers, excuse me, look out and they see, they see the, the clouds of the dust from the people marching and maybe they can hear some voices or hear some, some trumpets, whatever the case might be, that maybe there's some, some, uh, mm, some seriousness that's taking place in Jericho. No, no, look, look at verse number one. Now Jericho was straightly shut up. It was shut up, it was super tight. Listen, there, were, there was no getting in, there was no getting out of Jericho. It was shut up super tight. Jericho just wasn't some measly city on the outskirts of Canaan. No, Jericho was located some 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem and sat at 800 feet below sea level. So in the summer, Jericho was a very hot, had a very hot climate. It was called the city of the palm trees. They were abundant within the city walls. It was a beautiful place, a place of desirement. It says the area of the city was eight to nine acres and it was surrounded by double walls. There were two walls that encompassed Jericho. Uh, between 25 and 30 feet each wall. And the outer wall was six feet thick, while the inner wall was 12 feet thick, with 15 feet between each wall. So imagine if you meet with me, if you would, there's a wall that encompasses this eight to nine acres of Jericho, and it's 25 to 30 feet high. Just imagine a wall from the floor all the way up to the, basically the top of the ceiling here at the church. And, and, and you think about that wall that's six feet, six feet thick. But it's not just that, Brother John. There's 15 feet buffer there between the outer wall. Then you have an inner wall that's 12 feet thick. I mean, we're talking about a fortress. We're not talking about just, just some sticks that have been propped up and nailed together. I mean, we're talking about a battle-hardened facility that they're getting ready to go take. No, no, Jericho is, in our eyes, looking at Jericho, I mean, we can read Scripture and think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But to be honest with you, when we read this and really study it out, look at it, man, Jericho was a humongous obstacle for the nation of Israel. Jericho wasn't going to be an easy objective. Jericho wasn't going to be, oh, no big deal. We can handle this. No big deal. No, it was a big obstacle. Jericho was not only a big obstacle, but it was an important obstacle. So why do you say that, Brother Andrew? First, if conquering Jericho was a must for Israel, if Israel was going to conquer the rest of Canaan. Listen, listen to what one commentator said about this. He said, Jericho's capture was crucial or key before any progress could be made by Israel in conquering and occupying the land of Canaan. Listen, I'm sure if you were to give the nation of Israel the option, say, hey, listen, either you can go around Jericho or you can battle Jericho, I dare say most likely they'd probably say, hey, uh, we'd like to go around. No conflict, no war, no death, no problems. Uh, nobody that can get hurt, get injured. Man, we're going to go on around. But truth be told this morning, they had to face the obstacle of Jericho. Secondly, conquering Jericho was a must if Israel was to dwell in the safety of Gilgal. Gilgal in chapter number six was where Israel had set up camp. And in Gilgal, just on the other side of the Jordan River, Israel had set up camp, but it was very unique. Israel's camp had no walls. No, no, Israel's camp was set out in the open. That means anybody could walk in. Anybody could attack. Anybody could fight. So Jericho was very, listen, it was very important for the nation of Israel to defeat Jericho 
But not just that. Thirdly, conquering Jericho was a must if Joshua is going to be esteemed by the Canaanites. With Jericho being such a significant city, Joshua's reputation would rise or fall on how well Israel warred against Jericho. Now, Jericho was the first city they had to conquer, but Jericho wasn't the only city. And be sure to listen, be sure to know as you study your Bible and you study the book of Joshua, there were other kingdoms, there were other cities that was watching what was taking place in Jericho. There were other things that were, that there was other people that were kind of had their eye over Jericho's way going, what's going to happen? What's going to take place? We've got to make some decisions. We've heard about this nation of Israel. We know they've wandered in the desert for 40 years, but man, how they handle Jericho, we'll have to make some decisions how we handle them. Look at verse number two of chapter six. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty man of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a loud, sorry, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up in every strait before him. God gives Joshua specific instructions. Man, here's Joshua and the nation of Israel cross the river Jordan, do exactly what God's told them to do. Okay, God, here's, what's our next step? God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around Jericho once for six days. Just once for six days. Don't say anything. Don't shout. Don't make fun of the jericho people up there on the hill. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Just march around it. But on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And after the seventh time, I want the trumpets to blow and the men to shout. Then, then you'll have victory. Now watch what takes place. Look at verse six. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, take up the ark. Joshua gets the command from God. Joshua turns to the priests. Listen, he turns to the, the men of Israel and he says, here's what God's told us to do. I find this very, very, very encouraging. Not one person complains to Joshua and says, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. No, no, let's, let's rewind 40 years. Let's rewind 40 years. You got 10 spies that come back and say, yeah, we're not going into Canaan. Why not? Man, they got walled cities. They got giants in the land. There's, there's no way we can have victory. Then there's old Joshua and Caleb over here going, hey, hey, we can. God, God will make it happen. God will provide. God will do it. What happened? Well, the people, the people sided with the 10 that gave the negative report. It's interesting here that as Joshua stands up, remember I was talking about how the God was using the wilderness to mature the people? That as Joshua stands up and tells the priest, hey, this is what we're going to do, no one bats an eye. No one says, man, that's a dumb plan, Joshua. No one says, hey, maybe you ought to go back and pray and talk to God some more. Joshua shows up and says, okay, priest, here's your responsibilities. Hey, men, men of war, here's your responsibilities. Here's our responsibility as a nation. And guess what? If you keep reading, here's what takes place. Exactly what God tells them to do, the nation of Israel does it. They do it. They do it to a T. Now let's keep reading. Let's watch here. It says in the armed men, verse number nine. It says, and the armed men went before the priests and blew the trumpets and the reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. God gave specific instructions for the nation of Israel. 
He gave specific instructions for Joshua. He gave specific instructions for the priest. He gave specific instructions for the men of war. Yet in this, not one person murmured, complained, bucked it, said, nah, I don't think that's a good idea, Joshua. I don't think that's a good idea. To the outsider, the onlooker, it may seem confusing or a horrible military strategy. The strategist thinks, man, that, that's, that's not a good battle plan, Joshua. There's no way we can defeat Jericho. There's no way we can bust through one wall, let alone two walls. One of them six foot thick, the other one 12 foot thick. Joshua, there's just no way. Yet God's people submitted to God's plan of attack. No, no, listen, we all face the obstacle of Jericho's in our life. No, no, we all face it. We all face it. I was thinking as studying and preparing this that talking about the nation of Israel crossing Jordan into the Canaan land and you know, the, some commentators, they talk about, oh, that's a representation of us passing and going to heaven. And really it's not. It's a representation of the Christian who has a, listen, has a, an abundant, fulfilling life with Christ and dwelling in the promised land, dwelling in Canaan. And it's interesting to note that they had to cross the Jordan, Brother Brant, get into the promised land before they face the obstacle. You know what it tells me, Brother Mike? That even as a Christian, I'm gonna face obstacles in life. I'm gonna face difficulties in life. I'm gonna face things in life that I don't like. I'm gonna face things in life that I don't fully understand. That I, I just, I'm kind of looking at God going, God, are you serious right now? I don't get this. God, I don't understand why I'm going through this problem. God, I don't understand why, why I just can't move forward in life. God, this obstacle in front of me is just really discouraging me and I don't know what to do about it. Man, that's the nation of Israel. That's exactly where they're at. Yet in that, listen, in that, they, they take the words of God and go, okay, Lord, we'll do exactly what you say. Because watch what takes place, verse number 11. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord went up on continually, and blew at the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. Listen, six days. It was, uh, some commentators say it was over a two-hour march from the camp at Gilgal just to Jericho. Just to Jericho over a two-hour march. Then you got to think about the march around Jericho. Then another two, two-and-a-half, three-hour march back home. Every single day for six hours. Nowhere in our text do we find that anybody argued with Joshua. Nowhere in our text do we find that anybody argued with God's plan. But notice this in verse number 15. It says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early, or they rose early about the dawning of the day, and compassed the city after the manor seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. So follow me if you would. You got the people of Jericho standing at arms, ready to fight for Paul. They're, they're ready to throw down. And they see the nation of Israel compass the whole entire city. They don't say a word. They don't make a sound. They just march around one day, two day, three day. By day four, they're like, man, this is like Groundhog Day. Amen? This is constantly, constantly, what's going on? But on the seventh day, they don't stop after once. They do it again. So maybe they're thinking, oh, now, now, we're, now we're up to two times around the city for another week. Now it's going to be two times around the city. But they don't stop at two. They march around it three times. Then they march around it four times. All, listen, all the while, not saying a word, not blowing a trumpet. Maybe, listen, may, I, I don't know, maybe not even acknowledging those that are up on those high walls, just marching in place, 
wait, listen, waiting for the command from God's leader, from Joshua. It says in verse number 17, and the city shall be accursed, even all therein, to the Lord only Rahab the harlot shall live, uh, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves a curse when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Joshua had given out specific commands, specific, if you would, instructions as far as what was going to take place when the walls fell. Verse number 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. God said, hey, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. March around the city once for six days. Don't say a word. On the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. After you've marched around seven times, I want the trumpets to blow and I want the men to shout. Okay, God, what then? Then the walls are going to fall down. No, no. He's just kind of repeating what God's already told him. The walls are going to fall down flat. You'll straightly go up. You'll have the city. No, no. You have the city. You have the king. And in verse number 20, that's exactly what takes place with the nation of Israel. So for some of us, we look at Jericho and think, man, that's amazing. That's amazing that God could take an obstacle like Jericho and do some amazing things for the nation of Israel. And listen, sometimes in life, you and I, we're, we're faced with obstacles that we look at and we think, man, this is, this is totally a Jericho. We're faced with tough situations in life where we don't respond the way God wants us to respond. And too often, maybe we respond not like Joshua, the nation of Israel, where we submit to God's leading or we submit to God's words, we submit to God's authority, but so often we respond and we become angry. We become bitter. Maybe even we become discouraged or even depressed. When in reality, we have no control over the situation. Israel was no different. Jericho was in front of them. They had to defeat Jericho in order to possess the promised land. So what was the difference in Joshua and the nation of Israel's life in order for them to handle the obstacle of Jericho? There's four things I want us to see this morning in Scripture. Hopefully it'll help encourage us. I want you to notice in verse number one of chapter number six. Notice in verse number one of chapter number six, the Bible says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Listen, if you and I are going to ever defeat the obstacles in our life and really have victory in the promised land, we've got to put God first. Throughout the six, first six chapters of the book of Joshua, there's an almost constant record of conversation between God and Joshua. Uh, it's almost as if, if you read the first six chapters, and for the sake of time, we don't have the time to read all six and in their entirety, but it's almost as if you read all six, it's, you get the sense from Joshua that Joshua is really seeking God. He was really seeking God's leadership, and he was really seeking God's guidance. Listen, there's obstacles we face in life. We need God's help. No, no, we, we can't face them. There was no way that Joshua and the nation of Israel could defeat Jericho in and of themselves. They needed God's help. And in order to get God's help, they had to humble themselves and say, God, we need you to work in this situation. And so Joshua purposed in his heart to put God first. If we're ever going to handle the, and conquer the obstacles, we've got to put God first. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say these words. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God. See, the first time they were going to enter Canaan, all they could see were the walled cities and the giants in the land. But this time around, this time in Joshua chapter 1 to Joshua chapter number 6, Joshua and the nation of Israel put God first. And by putting God first in their life, they were able to overcome the obstacle. Which begs us to ask ourselves the question, is the reason why the obstacle in my life is not able to be overcome 
because I'm not putting God first? Am I trying to win the victory? Am I trying to win the battle in and of myself? Am I trying to win this war in and of myself? It's not part of the message, but man, if you go just past Joshua chapter number six, you read the story and the account of the nation of Israel, the next city they go to is Ai. And we, most of us know the story. When they go to Ai, they don't consult the Lord. They don't talk to God. They don't spend time with him. They, listen, after Jericho, they failed to put God first. And what happened at Ai, Brother Andy? They got defeated. They got humiliated. And they kind of ran back to camp with the tail between the legs saying, what have we done? What's going on? God, where are you at? And God's like, I'm right here. I never left. You're the ones that didn't put me first. Because if we're going to be able to overcome the obstacles in life, we've got to put God first. It can't, listen, it cannot be about us and our plan and our, our program. Could you imagine Joshua, after talking to the Lord, coming back to the camp and going, hey guys, I'm going to meet with my general staff here. I just heard from God, you know, the God that supplied manna, the God that parted the waters of the Jordan, the God that departed the waters of the Red Sea, the God that made the water come from the rocks, the God that guided us by flame at night and a pillar of cloud by day. I just heard from him, and you're never going to believe this. This is what he wants us to do. Not happening. What's your guys' plan? A totally different story. But because Joshua decided in purpose to put God first in his life, he was able to overcome the obstacle of Jericho. But not just that. Notice in verse number two of our text in chapter six, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall come past the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. All the way down to verse five, God gives specific instructions to Joshua. So, Brother Andrew, how do we overcome the obstacle of Jericho? Well, number one, you got to put God first. But then number two, listen, number two, obedience is key. Obedience is key. Joshua and the nation of Israel had no option. The only option they had was to obey God. What may have seemed foolish to Joshua brought great victory. Simply put, learn what God says and obey what God says. Our Jericho victories will only be won when we are faithful to God and we obey his word. In Jeremiah chapter 38, verse number 20, the prophet Jeremiah would pen these words. He said, Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee, so it shall be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. He said, Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord. Listen, we want victory in our life, and we want to see God do some amazing things for us individually, for our marriages, for our families. Hey, can we just say this too? Collectively, as a church, we want to see God do some amazing things that only God can do. But the only way we're going to see those things is if we obey God. Obedience is the key. Israel's victory at Jericho was centered around the fact that they obeyed everything God told them to do. Hey, six days, they march around the walls once. I I, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't know if maybe there was a conversation in formation. No, most of the time you're not supposed to talk in formation. My my brothers say that when they they were in the military. Uh, Where's Brother Aaron at? He's out, is he doing security? Okay, Brother Aaron can testify that. This was talking formation. And I don't know if in formation, walking around the walls of Jericho, if maybe there was a conversation like, here we go again, doing this again. Man, why are we doing this? Man, I'm hot. I'm tired. I got all this armor on. I'm ready to go. Man, I'm ready to fight. Look at how ugly them people look up there on that wall. Man, I just, man, I just, I'm ready to go. I want victory. Man, I, I don't know if that maybe took place. I'm not for sure. Here's what I do know. They obeyed exactly what God told them to do. 
They obeyed every word that God challenged them with, which begs us to ask the question, am I unable to defeat the obstacle in my life because I simply won't obey God? Because I simply won't obey and trust what God has to say. But then thirdly, look at this, and look at verse number 20 of our text in Joshua chapter number six. Look at verse number 20. In verse number 20, the Bible says, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Hey, listen, in order to give victory over those obstacles in life, the obstacle of Jericho, we've got to put God first, number one. Number two, we've got to be obey, obedient. We've got to obey what God has to say. But then number three, we've got to have faith. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Notice the text in verse number 20, what the Bible says. The Bible says in the middle part of verse number 20 that the walls fell down flat. The walls fell down flat. The people went up to the city. That word flat is translated from a Hebrew word that means this, underneath it. The walls collapsed from the very foundation. Archaeologists who've excavated the area that is believed to be where Jericho is says that most likely due to the evidence that they find that Jericho fell due to an earthquake. That God literally shook the ground, if you would, and shook the foundation that the wall stood upon. I find this very interesting that the nation of Israel standing on the outskirts and as the walls come tumbling down, there's no reforming. There's no, hey, get, get, get in the ranks, get, get together, we're ready. I mean, it was like they were ready to go. It's almost as if God just took the ground right where those walls were and just did one of these. And they fell down flat. The nation of Israel just stood by. Poof. Oh yeah, let's go. Right up into the city. Listen, if we're going to defeat the obstacles in our life, we've got to have faith in God, that God can do it for us. God literally shook the ground. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 30, we read this just as we began the service. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. You notice in verse number 20, there's something very key, I think it's very, very interesting to point out. The people did not shout because the walls fell down. The people shouted before the walls fell down. No, no, look at, look at the text, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down. Sometimes in dealing with obstacles, dealing with things in our life, dealing, dealing with things that, Listen, let's just be honest, that, that aren't convenient. There's got to be an aspect of faith where we're willing just to acknowledge the fact, God, I don't fully understand this. God, I don't fully, I don't fully see the bigger picture. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have, I'm going to have enough faith. And Joshua, the nation of Israel, shouted out, believing and having faith that the walls were going to fall based upon what God had already told them. If we truly believe God, our desire will be to obey what God has to say. Then lastly, look at verse number 22 of our text, Joshua chapter number 6, verse number 22. The Bible says this, But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab. Now watch this. And her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. Fourthly and final this morning, how am I going to defeat the obstacles of Jericho? Recognize this, that God can forgive your deepest sins. God can forgive your deepest sins. As we close out chapter number six of the book of Joshua, where we bring back into the picture, the scene, if you would, a lady by the name of Rahab. Rahab is a harlot. And I won't go into a lot of the details, but historians tell us this, that the, 
that Rahab played more of a harlot in the sense of not just for the travelers that came by, but even for the religion of Jericho. Very wicked, very vile, very pagan nation. There's a reason why God gave a decree to the nation of Israel to destroy all the inhabitants of the Canaan land. He did not want that, that religion or that, that mindset to creep into God's chosen people. So Rahab had some really deep, deep sins, if you would. But truth be told, Rahab had decided a couple chapters prior that she was going to put her faith and trust in Jehovah God. Jewish tradition teaches us that she married one of the twelve, or sorry, one of the two spies that she hid. And through that lineage, we get King David. You know, King David, Psalm 23, King David, David and Goliath, that through that lineage. Oh, and by the way, through that lineage, we get Jesus Christ. The story that God gives. Throughout Scripture, we're reminded of people who, who lived a life of sin, who had great sin in their life, who God used in a mighty way. But Rahab's very unique because Rahab's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab. I find it interesting that God doesn't say, by faith, Rahab, perish not. I find it interesting that God says, by faith, the woman Rahab. I find it interesting, Brother John, that God says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. You realize this morning that maybe one of the biggest obstacles in your life, one of the biggest Jerichos in your life is sin. Maybe it's past sin. Maybe it's sin where you're at. Maybe you're not, you're not willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because that obstacle of, st- of sin is staring you in the face. And you're like, man, that's too, that's too big of an obstacle. That's too big. There's no way I can have victory over that. Well, Rahab's an example of what can take place when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know what obstacle you're facing today. I don't know what situation, what difficulties you've had this week, where you're at personally, But here's what I do know. Each and every one of us are going to face some Jerichos in life. We're going to face some struggles in life. We're going to face some hard times in life. We're going to face some things in life where we go, man, I just want victory. And here's what God's going to say. Put me first. God's going to say, you want victory in your life? Put me first. Put me first. No, no, don't don't put anybody else first. Put me. God says, put me first. Put me first. Then he's going to say this, after you put me first, you need to obey what I tell you. You need to obey what I tell you. I think oftentimes we struggle because we're not willing to obey God. And if we would just grab a hold of that, man, what a victory God can do in our life if we'll just simply obey God. Say, why is that so vital, Brother Andrew? Because when I obey God, listen, I can have faith in what he's going to do. I don't have to fight the battle for myself. I don't have to fight the battle for you. You don't have to fight the battle for me. God's already fought it for us. But I've got to put him first. I've got to obey, and I've got to have faith in him. Oh, and listen, if there's sin in my life, there's sin in your life, we need to get it right. Maybe this morning we need to get it right with another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe this morning we need to get it right with God. Maybe honestly this morning, we're just living life day to day. We don't even think about it. We don't even consider what's going on. But truth be told, we look at our life and we look at the life of Israel, we look at the life of Joshua and we think, man, I really wish I, really wish I had somebody in my life that could help me have victory. But man, I feel so empty, so alone, so miserable. Maybe this morning the question you'd ask yourself is this, have I ever put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 
Uh, we talk about being saved, talk about at Calvary, talk about salvation, but man, am I, am I really saved? I don't quite understand that. Well, here in a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. It's an opportunity for you to step out and come forward, and somebody will be glad to take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven. Father, we thank you for this morning, and again, the privilege it is to be in your house. Lord, we all, we all face obstacles in life. No one's exempt from it. Sometimes those obstacles are greater than maybe even what we're really willing to admit or what we're really willing to acknowledge. But Lord, you know. And what an example that Joshua and the nation of Israel gives us as they enter into the promised land and specifically as they defeat Jericho. What a challenge for us as individuals to face these obstacles in life the exact same way. By putting you first, Lord, you don't want to be second or third or fourth or fifth or last. God, you desire to be first in our life. And we all struggle with making you number one. We all struggle with making you the priority in our life. No, no one is perfect in that area. So Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning of not just saying you're number one, but actually living life. Living life acknowledging the fact that you are the number one priority in our life. And then, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to obey when you challenge us. Help us to be obey when you correct us. Help us to be obey, obey when you show us things through the preaching, through the teaching of God's word, through our Bible reading, even through a song, whatever the case might be. Lord, help us to be obedient. And then, Father, help us to have faith. Faith in knowing that you've already won the victory. If we've put you first and we've obeyed what you've told us to do, that you've already got victory. Lord, you've already won the battle for us. Lord, help us to shout, shout, shout of faith and belief in what you've done for us. And Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning that you can forgive and forget our deepest sins. Lord, I can only imagine this morning what it's like for Rahab today in heaven. What a thought to ponder and to think of the lineage that came from a woman who acknowledged the fact that she needed to put her faith and trust in Jehovah God. What a difference this morning could be for somebody's life if they would acknowledge the fact that they need to put their faith and trust in Jehovah God, even now in 2022. As we stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed, the piano is going to play this morning. The obstacle of Jericho. What obstacles do you have in your life this morning that maybe you're trying to defeat on your own? And God says, hey, you got to do it my way. Joshua, the nation of Israel, never would have gotten the victory doing it their way. They had to do it God's way.